Uh, Father, we're here to glorify your name. We're here to hear from your word. We pray that your spirit would uh, invade this place, invade our human hearts, and turn us towards you. Reveal yourself here, Lord. Let us see you as, as more magnified. Let us see your plan uh, in the earth so that we may execute it and take dominion. We pray this through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, I don't normally give outlines. I don't like to give outlines because it makes it too easy for you people. Uh, I like it that you guys can flip through and find the Bible verses. We probably don't have anything on the screen either because uh, the outline you guys have is just the Bible verses with a few headings. And I had to take out um, uh, two pages of scripture verses. And so... Uh, roughly two pages with some notes. Uh, so we're going to do a lot of looking at scriptures today. Uh, so the outlines will help you in this respect and in this time. Because you guys just wouldn't be able to flip fast enough. Probably. You can try it if you want. That's your prerogative. If you can, you should. But they're all mostly on the paper. Um, so... This is, there's this pattern that we've been having. Uh, some people, like I've heard Catherine commented on it and, and Josiah commented on it where now that we have several people doing the 9.30 and 10.30, we're having multiple people doing two and three and four part series or follows up, following up their last sermon. And so I'm doing the same thing. I'm just doing what everybody else is doing. That's... <laughs> But it's a good, so you have to remember what people preached about last time. Um, and I think the last time I was up here at a 9.30, uh, I think it was actually 10.30, um, just to recap, uh, we went over Hebrews 13 about uh, the kingdom of God being unshakable, that the Lord is always in the business of shaking kingdoms and uh, realms of authority in particular that are not submitted to Christ and he is always shaking those realms so that the unshakable kingdom, that the kingdom of Christ would prevail. And so I wanted to follow up, and it was very uh, anti-statist, anti-don't just follow the government. The government has to submit to Christ. If the government's not submitting to Christ, they're a totalitarian state. And here we are today. Um, or here we go today. As in, not today, but in our current state of affairs. And so... Uh, the church being the manifest society of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, uh, I wanted to talk today about the scriptural um, example of the church being the solution. I, don't, I think I, I think sometimes it's weird that sermons have titles. Uh, oh, it just says the church is the solution. Same thing mine says. I think I said in the outline that... Um, Anvesh puts in the bulletin, the church is the solution to all of the world's problems, which is scripturally true. And we're going to look at that. So, um, we currently live in and have a, a cultural milieu in this last year, year and a half, that says everything is getting worse. This, everyone says, good riddance, 2020 is over. That was such a terrible year. That, that year stunk. Uh, it was no good. But... That's not how we should see things. Um, so what we're going to look at is that God intends to utilize the church as the solution to the world's problems. And indeed, there's no other hope. 
There's no other solution. The church is the only solution, the only way uh, to fix the world's problems, and we do have that hope. And so we often, not like we as people, but I'm just talking about we as a church, divorce our thoughts of eschatology and ecclesiology, our ideas about the end times or what Christ wants to accomplish, and our studies of the church and what we're called to be. Um, and that might not happen on a head knowledge level, but more often than not, it, it's divorced in reality. And so um, we're going to fly through a lot of these verses. We're going to do a lot of reading. Um, and then eventually I'll get to some point in the end. But let's just look at what the scriptures say. And so um, this isn't any new information, uh, hopefully for anybody. This is a way of reminder and calling us to something and giving us a vision for something higher. And so, uh, as we know it, the world is deceived, uh, and the world is in deception. 1 John five nineteen, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Uh, how many people think, well, thank God we're in the church, we can huddle in here, let the world do their thing, they're part of Satan's plan, and then God will save us, Right? No, we have to kind of clarify. He's not saying, in, in First John, he's not saying that the world is, is completely um, Satan's dominion, right? Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the whole world and the people who dwell therein. God owns the world. So Satan doesn't actually own the world. What's he saying? The whole world, all of the people who are not under Christ lie in the power of Satan. They're totally deceived. They're totally under his, his power. has nothing to do that, that Satan is in control. Uh, Satan's already been defeated. He has no power in the earth as far as the church is effective and the gospel is going out. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So people are blind. If, if they haven't heard, this, heard the gospel, if they haven't received Christ, they're blind. They're still under the power of Satan. Um, what do you expect them to do? People, they're just blind. 2 Timothy 3.13. But evil, evil people and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. What do you think pe evil people would do? Get better? <laughs> no, they're going to get worse, Right? That's the, that would be the natural trajectory of individuals, families, societies, any realm of authority, any realm where there's people and there's more people, the problem only gets worse, right? As far as uh, the problem from bad to worse. Uh, Romans 7, 10 through 12. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me, for sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then the law is holy, the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Romans 3 earlier talks of the same thing about the deceitfulness of sin. But encourage one another every day, as long as it is still called today, so that uh, none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the power of sin is that it deceives and kills. Uh, and we see that the law is holy, righteous, and good. Um, so we're going to get into what the church's calling is with the law, but we see that 
the world doesn't have the law. The world is, is apart from the law. So it can only get worse as long as there is no law there, as long as the law of Christ is not there. And so we should understand that the world will get worse if the gospel is not preached there. If people aren't um, brought under the dominion of Christ. And if they won't willingly do it, then the outward law should hold them accountable. So uh, I'm going to jump ahead to, uh, we're not going to read from Romans 13, but I'm going to throw it in here now, is, guess what? Uh, 2 Timothy 3.13. Evil people and impostors will proceed from bad to worse. Um, it's only going to get worse. The government is only going to get worse and more evil as long as the gospel and the law of Christ isn't applied there. I don't know any government officials, I don't know too many, uh, but I don't know any government officials um, that are singularly Christian and have an intent to bring the law of Christ to reign in our nation. That's one of the reasons why I don't really trust any politician. Because um, I don't, I've never seen, not that I know of, that's thoroughly Christian. And so the law isn't being applied there. It's going to get worse. Um, it, that's the only natural state of affairs until the, the law of God is applied. The gospel is preached and it's brought under the dominion of Christ. John 3.19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. People love darkness. They don't want the law of Christ. They love doing evil. They love being deceived. Sin is their master, and they rejoice and say, hallelujah, praise sin. <laughs> That's what people love. That's what they want. They don't want Christ. And so the world actually loves their sin and darkness. They, they don't want the light to come. Anybody who's outside of Christ loves being there. You guys see how that would affect a world that we live in? And so Galatians 6, 7, to kind of end this, this section, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. Uh, so just to give you guys a couple like real life examples, maybe getting from bad to worse, um, just to talk about our nation, because it's the church's responsibility to preach the gospel. It's not anybody else's responsibility. And, and we'll clarify that the church is you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and me, and you back there, and those people coming in, there's nobody coming in, uh, right? It's not, the, it's not the church elders, it's not just the evangelist, it's everybody's called to proclaim the gospel, to extend the law of Christ into the realms of authority, into their families, into their workplace, to wherever they are. And so, um, Let's just talk about a $27 trillion debt. I, I looked up the debt. And I, was, I was like, it's got to be like, what, like five, six trillion or something? And I was like, oh, it's $27 trillion. <laughs> so God's not going to be mocked. The economy has to be brought under the law of Christ. Right? What do you think is going to happen with $27 trillion of debt? Is it going to go away? Maybe some other nation will save us. I don't think so. Um, there's been 60 million abortions since 1973. In conjunction with that, uh, 
hear me out on this one. So we're missing 60 million people in America that should be alive, should be doing something in society. And um, we have 14 to 15 uh, million illegal immigrants coming in to do the work for us because we need it. That's a natural repercussion. Not that these people are bad, but we don't have enough people to fill the labor because we killed them, right? What we reap is what we sow. How many uh, people in the church are tired of some ideology, you name it, whichever one you don't like or you think is antichrist ruling our nation? Secular humanism. I I don't like secular humanism. (laughs) Uh, I'll say an amen to that one, right? Well, why is it ruling our nation? Why why are humanistic agendas being pushed? Because we didn't preach the gospel, because the church isn't taking dominion. That's our fault. So we have the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, He is the truth. We have Christ. We have the power of him. 1 John 3, 19, by this we know that we are of the truth. 1 John 4, 6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 1 John 5, 6, and the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. Right? These are epistemological truth statements. Right? We are of the truth. We have Jesus Christ who is the truth. He came incarnate and embodied truth, and we are of him. And uh, I actually ended up, even on my outline, taking out like half a page of truth statements. But uh, just go to Bible Gateway and type in truth, and, just, and all I did was pull up the New Testament. Uh, these are, every example today is from the New Testament um, because there's just not enough space to look at all the truth statements. 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. 2 John 1, 1 through 4. Uh, listen how many times he says truth in the opening line. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And so, it's not just that the, so we looked at the world is deceived. There's actually no truth in the world. Because if, if it's not rightly rooted under Jesus Christ, under the Trinitarian God of Christianity, through the word, then it's not truth. They might stumble upon it accidentally in some ways, um, but it's not really obedience to the truth. They're being obedient to some pragmatic, practical ways from which they can operate, and they will quickly divert from that. So 1 Timothy 3.15, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how, to, how one should act in the household of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Now, I kind of cheated on that one. Uh, That's the NASB. If you read the ESV, it says uh, a pillar and support of the truth or of truth. 
It makes the ESV makes it sound like the church is one of the pillars of truth, um, which is also true. But but we are the ones. The Church of the Living God is the institution on earth that the pillar that upholds truth. Truth is up here, and we're holding it up. What happens if we step back and let go? What happens? Anybody? It falls. Thank you. Uh, physics lesson. If I hold something up and I let it go, it falls. Feel free to answer questions if I ask them. You guys are all smart. Uh, so, do you guys see that? Without us, without the church, all of truth is lost. Without the church doing something, without the church speaking, doing, living, telling, holding other institutions accountable, or raising up institutions built on the truth, then there is no truth in the world. The world doesn't get truth without us. Likewise, we are the light. John 1, 4 through 5. In him was life, and the light, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it or overpowered it. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. There you are. You're the light. It's hard to misinterpret that one. Ephesians 5, 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 1 Thessalonians 5.5, 5, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Philippians 2.14-15, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So even in that Philippians contrast, we see how we act and what we do is an example how we live, what we do, how we live as a community, what we do with our time, how we uh, vary in, in context here, uh, how we speak or how we, how we respond. And uh, just about any time in history, you could say in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. There's hardly been a time that I could think of uh, in studying history, which I don't do a lot, um, that you couldn't say that it was a crooked and twisted generation. And uh, maybe it's just my public school background, I don't know. Uh, people who are gone to better schools can, can testify differently if, if this is the case. But don't we study history in terms of the major events? And aren't those wars and nations fighting and who conquered who and things like that? And then occasionally we get like the invention of electricity and things are getting a little bit better. And, uh, but mostly even how we study human or, you know, humanity uh, and history throughout history is, is what are these evil things that happened and what did the world do to respond? And so there's actually no reason to fear. I hate to, uh, don't, don't start getting scared. The world is in darkness, um, but there's no reason to fear. The church has been doing this, being light for uh, 2,000 years, uh, more or less crooked generations have risen and fallen with accordance or in accordance with how light the church was in that society in that generation. And so uh, we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Amen. We can all profess that. I don't think anybody disagrees. If you do, 
talk to me afterwards and I'd love to hear your perspective and see what you're seeing uh, or what your definition of evil is. But, but what's our response? To shine as lights in the world. The darker it gets, the brighter the light gets. Right? We know this in, in, um, in the created order. Right? If, we, if it was nighttime and we turned out off all of the lights and there was a candle here, we could all see the candle very clearly and it would light up and you can see the back of the room and you can see people in the back pews, their faces kind of clearly. But as we turn up the lights and we get more light, that candle gets less effective, right? But all the other lights are shining more effective. And that's because light always wins, right? God created this in such a way, right? Never ever has darkness ever overcome light. And so Romans 3, 11 through 12, uh, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So what does Paul say there? He actually says the night is gone. It's daytime now. There's no more night. There's actually no more night in Paul's theology because the day is here. Jesus being the, I'm going to skip to uh, Genesis 1 because we see this example in, um, this is ever since Genesis 1, uh, how God designed things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out form and, without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So does everybody know the way of uh, when does the day end in Jewish ideology and the Jewish mindset? Or when does the day start, I should say? Yeah, when's the, when's the day start? Evening. At evening, at sunset, right? We, we, our days start at midnight or when you wake up or when the sun rises. We think that's a new day when the sun rises, but that's not how God had ordained it to think. Um, I remember reading a little booklet and I'd read Genesis like, I'd probably heard that like a hundred times and never really thought about it. He says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And the author was like, isn't that funny how God said that like the night when the sun set, that was the beginning of the day. And then as the day progressed, it was going to get lighter and lighter and lighter. And I was like, oh, I read that a hundred times. and I'd never thought about that. That's interesting. It's, and, and it's because this is how we started. That's what Paul's saying the night's gone. This is the day. The night starts. There's all this darkness. The sun rises, and it gets lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter until noonday. Um, like that Proverbs 4, 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So that is to be interpreted individually, but that's also to be interpreted throughout all of history. That the righteous 
are compared to the light of dawn, which keeps getting brighter and brighter and brighter and is increasing. And you would think that, like, okay, if the light's increasing, then he's going to compare the wicked and they're decreasing. He doesn't actually do that. He says the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So they're just stumbling around. They're not even, like, knowing where the path is. They can't ever be organized. There can't be really a concerted effort too much from those in darkness. Uh, for various reasons, and that varies, but... But the path of the righteous is going to continue to increase, 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 while the wicked are just like tripping and and tripping <laughs> and tripping, <laughs> right? That's but that's what we should. That's what we should expect. There's no um, to say. There's no foothold for for those in darkness, for societies in darkness, for people in darkness. They're just going to stumble and fall. They can never gain any ground. Um, as long as the righteous increases. Um, and so Paul's saying that the night is over. Uh, Isaiah 60, um, 1 through 5, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. So the light's always winning. Jesus Christ said he was the light, that we are the light, and we're going to win. The Lord has risen upon us. The day is here. And just to quote John 1, 4 through 5 again, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it or overpowered it. And, and so this is what we should expect. We should expect and we should see in society is wherever the church is present and active that the light increases. That is our goal. Um, we even see that from the, the dominion mandate in Genesis 1 of take dominion over all things. And, and so this is our calling. Um, and we have to see that uh, just like we saw, was it two weeks ago, when we went over Hebrews 13, that this is our expectation and knowing the kingdom of Christ, we are the solution. Everybody here in the pews or on the live stream or who's just now waking up and going to come in late or anybody <laughs> that's part of the church is the solution, right? And he's called us to be the solution and there's no other solution in the earth. Nobody else has the answers. We often say there's nobody else coming. Right? There's, we shouldn't put our hope in anything else. We shouldn't look to anything else. We shouldn't uh, expect anybody else to do it. I don't even uh, particularly b believe that we should put a high hope in uh, other Christians doing it because God didn't put me in another church. He didn't put you in another church. He didn't put you in another community of Christians. No, you can go. You can, <laughs> you can go there if you want. Uh, but I hope you stick around and <laughs> and do some work. But so, 
the point is the Lord has called us to be the solution. Uh, Romans 8, 19 through 24. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For, this, for in this hope we were saved." So one of the reasons God saved you and brought you into a community of people is that he could use his people to renew creation. And that just doesn't mean, uh, get, st- stop thinking so uh, literally, unbiblically, fundamentally, and sure, there are literal things like in scripture where it says the, the lion will lay down with the, the lamb, or I think it actually says the wolves in Isaiah. But um, there's things in created order like that will be set free, right? We see in Deuteronomy 28 that one of the curses against people who disobey God are natural disasters. And so I believe that scripture points to, as the gospel goes out, there will actually be less natural disasters. But I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. That might be a piece of it. The whole creation, like, I don't think the stars are worrying about, like, whether we preach the gospel. I don't think the stars are sentient, (laughs) right? They're not that way of groaning. But all of the created order, every person on earth, all of the nations are actually inwardly, in a sense, waiting for the sons of light, the sons of God, to appear and shed light on them. And so... I'm going to throw one in there that i got to look up. Colossians 2, 14, 14 through 16. Let's see if you guys can beat me there. Oh, going the wrong way. Okay, Colossians 2, 14 through 16. That doesn't sound right. But let's take a look at it. Not the verse I was looking for, but let's read it. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Um, Obviously, Christ has triumphed over all of the rulers, all of the authorities in every place, and he's leading us in in a triumphant procession uh, behind him. And elsewhere, I think in Colossians, it talks about that we are the fragrance of Christ everywhere we go. And either we are the fragrance of life to those who the Lord is giving life to, or we're the fragrance of death. But either way, we're the fragrance of Christ. And so we should be either in a godly culture, if we lived in a godly culture, or a more godly culture, we should be the fragrance of life in that culture, and people should be pleased with us. And there will be people. But also, we are the fragrance of death to those who are dying. And so those who are dying should be made evident that they're dying. And they will not like us. 
and they will know that they're dead, and they will hate our works. But, um, but we have to be fragrant. No one's noticing uh, or bothers with a church that sits silent and doesn't do anything, that doesn't preach the gospel, that um, doesn't uh, hold the rest of the world accountable to the law of Christ. And so, um, it's not just that we're going to win, but we're going to have to win the Lord's way, how he designed it. And so, think about this for a minute. Uh, We often interpret scripture as, uh, it was written to me so that I can have my personal holiness, and I can be a good Christian, and I can learn more about the Lord, and then I can sit in my room and study more, and I can do better Christian things in my life. But that's not really how the Bible was written. The Bible wasn't written to one person. The Bible was always written to a society of people. Um, We look at, you know, specifically in Exodus and Deuteronomy, it's specifically a law written to people on how their society should operate, right? There's laws, there's bylaws, there's case laws, and things like that. Um, And so, you know, in... And it's probably on here somewhere. Second um, Peter two nine it says that we're a holy nation. We are separate from the world. We're different, right? But we're a society of people, and um, we're supposed to operate that way, right? We're the solution because not just because Jesus Christ is the light, but we have the Word. We have the Word of God. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. Hopefully everybody knows. All scripture is breathed out by God and useful or profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So one of the reasons why we're the only hope for the world is because we have the word. We have God's instruction. We have instruction in righteousness. We have reproof. We have training for righteousness. We have correction. Uh, we have access to guidance from the Lord in every situation. There's no situation that Scripture doesn't speak to, right? We call this the sufficiency of Scripture. So we tend to think about that and how do we do that for our own lives, right? Which is good and right and beautiful, and we should. But the sufficiency of Scripture goes for the rest of the world too, for us to interact with them. Uh, We have the solution to everybody's marriage problems. We have the solution to everybody's disobedient, neglectful child problems. Uh, We have the solution to mental disorders. We have every counseling solution. The world doesn't have a solution. The world has, again, pragmatic ways that they think they can help, and they're going to do things. Um, uh, Does anybody know how, like, doctors operate? like a little bit. We got some nurses in here. Um, it's pretty common practice where there, there's a problem or an ailment. They come in, well, let's throw some medication at it and see if that helps and come back in a given period of time, six months, six weeks, and we'll see if that worked. Right? It's pragmatic. Let's see if this works. Uh, but that's the way the, all of the world operates. Um, so Romans 12:2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so 
Uh, I remember when I first read that and I was like, oh, okay, so we're just supposed to like renew our mind and we'll go into a situation and we'll just kind of discern what the will of the Lord is and, and test it out and we'll find out, you know, if the Lord blesses that, then it was good. That's not a good way to think about it. That's not what the scriptures are saying. There's uh, 11 chapters that lead up to that and he is directly saying that because we have the law, particularly, um, because we have the revelation of Christ and the word, we can actually discern in every situation what the will of God is. We don't have to go about it in some blind way the way the world does. And so if we're not exporting the word, uh, then we're neglecting our calling as a church. And so part of renewing your mind is not just for our personal lives of what should we do, but we actually have to rethink every single thing through the light of the word, through the light of Christ. So that means we have to rethink how we do child raising. Uh, I'm, uh, a lot of people are familiar with Canon Press. Um, I accidentally didn't cancel my free 30-day subscription, so I paid for, I paid $10 for a monthly subscription and I didn't use it for that 30 days. And since now I paid money, I was like, well, I'm going to get my $10 worth. <laughs> I'm not going to let this, I'm not just going to let $10 fly out and <laughs> into the world and, uh, <laughs> and not utilize it. So I've been constantly listening to podcasts and sermons and I'm currently in a, a fatherhood series and it's caused me like, oh yeah, like, hey, that's a good idea. Maybe I should do that. Like, maybe I should be a more biblical father. Uh, you know, but it's the, it's the word that brings, brings about that. But we should be rethinking everything, everything. Uh, we have a, um, a common framework of thinking that we go off of here at GCF called the seven inevitable institutions of every society or the seven governments. And it starts with self and then family, and then the church, and then education, and then business or economics, and then social mores, or media, and then civic government on top. And you have to rethink everything in your entire life. You should be rethinking, are, are speed limits a part of the law of God? We'll discuss that afterwards. You should be rethinking, um, you know, um, I think every, I think 99% of our people here do a good job and don't send their children to the state schools. That's, that's a great way to start rethinking. Um, but you have to rethink, like, what are biblical economics? What's a biblical idea of work? What's a biblical idea of family? When Deuteronomy uh, 6 talks about, like, talking about the law of God, when you lie down and when you stand up and... What does that look like? Right? Um, and so we have to rethink. Like, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to let the word intersect every area of life. Every single area. Uh, Acts 3.19 through 21. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And so uh, 
who was the Bible written to? Who were the Hebrew scriptures written to? Hebrews, good. Uh, the Israelites, the people of God. It was a society of people. Long ago, all of the Hebrew scriptures prophesied that through his people, there would be the glory of the Lord coming over the face of the earth uh, as the waters cover the sea. Uh, that's Habakkuk 2.14. How much does the sea, the waters cover the sea? Entirely. There's no place if the sea got smaller, the waters still cover the entire sea. It just is smaller, right? It's a total encapsulation. Um, and, and so we've actually been affected by uh, anti-Christ or anti-Lord or uh, systems of thought. And so uh, we're told in multiple places in Scripture, but just using that Acts 3 as an example, that Jesus isn't coming back until all things are restored. The logical conclusion you should ask yourself is, how is he going to restore it? Or who's going to restore it? We are. We're the people of God. And so, um, you know, just like I said, Ephesians 2.9 says that we're a separate people. We're the people of God. We're the children of light. Uh, but we've been affected by uh, anti-Christ systems of thought. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought, every system of thinking, every system of authority has a way of thinking of how they're going to operate. Um, and we have to take every one of those thoughts captive to obey Christ. Um, is, in, is anybody, uh, just to go back to the economy, uh, is anybody kind of fed up with our level of taxation? <laughs> we got a couple strong hands. Uh, if you guys aren't fed up with your levels of taxation, I've got open pockets. That's all I'm saying. I'll just leave it there. And so there's actually a thought process by the government um, or those in government or those in power that has enabled that. Um, okay, Besides who's not happy, whether you're happy or not makes no difference to me uh, or necessarily the Lord. <laughs> uh, but to rethink whether those are holy systems, whether it's in accordance with the law of Christ, with, with God's law. Because uh, when you're holy, then you'll really be happy. And a more holy tax would be 10% or less, and then I would be a lot happier. Um, just side note, so Mariah started working recently. Uh, she's 15. She works for her cheerleading school uh, and team, and she gets paid like eight-something an hour. Uh, but her, her tax rate is like 8%. It's amazing. But I told her, get ready, because it's going up soon. But all of these systems of thought, like we've all been affected uh, by these, um, be, these systems of thought. And so living in Christ's kingdom in reality, like this means how do we operate as a society? This means what we believe has to become incarnate. It has to flesh itself out. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why were you created? For good works, to do something, to walk out your faith. Uh, Titus is an interesting book. 
he uses the, the phrase good works, I think, five times in, in just a few chapters. Titus 3, 8 and 14. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good work. These things are excellent and profitable for people. 14, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cause as to help causes of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So look at the honor rule of faith in Hebrews 11. Everybody was called to faith, and it said that they did something. It didn't say that they, and Abraham had so much faith, he sat in his study and read his Bible for 40 years, and then he died. <laughs> right? Everybody in that honor rule of faith is mentioned of doing something. This is where we get the doctrine of like faith without works is dead. And we say, well, it's your faith and your works go in conjunction. Well, actually, if you're not doing any works, you might not be a Christian. Like your faith might be dead. It's useless. It's, it might not even be alive. Right? Because um, this is why God saved you, to renew the earth, to bring every thing under the dominion of Christ. Right? Uh, we're not called to go to the, to the world or to the government or to any other system um, for stuff. I'm just going to say for stuff in general. Uh, and I'll preface that here in a second. Uh, Isaiah 2 talks about all the nations streaming to the Mount Zion, to the children of Jacob, because we have the law and they come to us. Right? Uh, I had an interesting conversation with, uh, I was doing a video call with someone and we're talking about what's, uh, it's a misnomer, it's called replacement theology, that the church has taken over the role of Israel, which isn't true, we didn't replace Israel, uh, just the true Israel was always there and the true Israel has always continued and now it's called the church. Um, the only thing that was replaced was the word church or ecclesia with Israel, which was a church or congregation. But anyways, and so, um, you could look at Isaiah, I'm sorry, you could look at 1 Corinthians 6, where it talks about forms of arbitration or mediation. You can look at uh, 1 Timothy 5, about forms of welfare. But if we instantly think that we should go to the world for welfare, or for, um, in times of trouble, or for counseling, or for anything, then we've already... Uh, had our mind um, distorted by the world because the church is actually going to uh, reform the welfare system. The church is going to reform social security. It has to because we have the light. It has to. The church is going to reform economy. We're going to get a less fiat economy when uh, the church starts being the church and, uh, and, and takes dominion of that sector. Um, Healthcare. Uh, I don't. I don't go to doctors, and it's not because I don't like doctors. It's, it's for other reasons because uh, they're expensive. Um, I remember a time, just to give it like a real-world example about how the church can help. Uh, there was a time where uh, I needed a small surgery on my foot, and I could either go to an emergency room or I can call uh, John Gray, and he can walk me through it. And because it was late at night, he walked me through it over the phone, or he could do it for me. Uh, and I'll tell you about how gross it was later. But, right, the, the church is the solution. 
Not saying that you should take all your medical problems to, to, to John Gray. Uh, but the church, the church actually understands how healthcare should work accordance with the law of Christ better than the world does. Um, there's obviously large deficiencies, and I can go on about uh, stories even this week about how a Chick-fil-A manager uh, cut the vaccination time for a COVID stop from an hour wait to 15 minutes uh, because world, especially on that top tier of the government, can't do anything effective. Um, and so this is our calling as a church. We're going to start schools. We're going to start businesses. We have to. We have to take over uh, the world. Um, I'm going to leave you guys with Psalm 110.1 here in a minute. But uh, if anybody follows a certain stream of Christians, there was a pretty famous Christian uh, just in the last few weeks um, before I actually thought about uh, doing this uh, presentation on the scriptures today, uh, said that we lose down here. He said to his church, get it straight. We don't win this battle. We lose. They persecuted Jesus. It says they killed Jesus. They killed all the apostles. We're all going to be persecuted. If any man comes after me, let him what? Deny himself all this garbage of prosperity gospel. He's relating that to post-millennialism. Now, we don't win down here. Are you ready for that? Just to clear the air, I love this clarity. We don't win. We lose on this battlefield. <laughs> That's a very optimistic church. That doesn't seem uh, very optimistic in the church's light, in light of the scriptures and what we're called to. We do win down here. But we win the Lord's way by taking the gospel into every sector of society. And that's what we're going to do. Uh, we've already discussed amongst some people about how we can start a church. Or not start a church, we have a church, a school um, in the future. But there should be regular talks. Uh, go back to, you could say this is my third part in a series. You can go back to my talk on hospitality like three times ago about how you can use hospitality to welcome people over and start talking about what the Lord is doing and what he's called you to and see if there's a way that people in the church can mesh and start new, new missions. How we can, where can we gain ground in the earth? And so uh, I'll leave us off with Psalm 1101, uh, the New, Ta new Testament's famous, uh, most popular scripture to quote. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So that's our calling. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would make us victorious in your gospel and let us be faithful in the realms of which you've called us. And we pray for your grace to take new ground, for boldness to take your gospel uh, into our society, into individuals' lives, into new families, um, to plant more churches, to, to grow uh, your ministry, your kingdom here on earth. Amen.